1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
2: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and
1: Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast.
2: Now, we want to talk about the restaurant business with Vlad Richter. He's the CEO of Zenput. If you run a large restaurant chain, you already know what the company does. It's a platform used by huge names, Domino's, Papa John's, uh, KFC, Five Guys, Chipotle, etc. cetera. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it does, Vlad. So t- t- I know that you, your platform um, helps people with safety, helps people, uh, especially given the COVID situation. But what exactly do people use Zenput to do?
3: Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for having us on. So, our customers use EndPoint to make sure that every time you walk into one of their locations, the food and dining experience is great. They're making sure that the food is being handled and prepared safely. You know, ch- taking temperature readings, making sure that the hot food is hot, the cold food is cold. And in particular,ly given uh, given last year with COVID, a lot of our customers were using us to make sure that you know safety and clean procedures were followed and that they were being done correctly. So that you and I, whenever we walk into one of these places, we know great. This place is um, this place is following the right uh, protocols. And as you were mentioning, that's correct. We work with some phenomenal brands at about um, roughly about fifty thousand locations across a uh, hundred plus companies, including including uh, Domino's in Germany and uh, even actually grows technology in Germany as well.
1: So Vlad, you know, you walk past almost any restaurant here in the states, whether it's a you know a part of a national chain like a Papa John's or Chipotle, or you know an ind- independently owned restaurant. Almost everyone has a help wanted sign in the window here. How bad is the labor shortage in the restaurant slash fast food business?
3: Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's challenging right now. You know, there's a, there was a comment that we heard from our customers starting a couple months ago that said, we felt like we just got out of one pandemic and we're getting into another one, right? That, that one being the labor shortage. Look, it's, um, it's, uh, it's challenging without a doubt. I think early on you had a shortage of people that didn't want to go back. They were worried about... You know, I don't want to get sick of it. Uh, I don't want to get uh, COVID potentially from somebody else in the workplace. And so they bought out of it. Um, that's now fading a bit with vaccination, uh, vaccinations, obviously, where uh, where they are today in terms of how many people are getting them. Um, two, you're having a lot of people just kind of question the, the, the type of work that they want to be doing. All of a sudden they said, well, hold on. I've been doing this for five or 10 years and maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I want to switch jobs and go into a different career. And I think the, the third piece of it, uh, a little bit, and it kind of varies on the state and city, is some of the, benefit, the temporary benefits that we have uh, from the government that are coming in that are also, um, you know, providing some, some uh, money to these individuals. And so the customers that we talk to on a regular basis are getting real creative, right? If they're handing out money just to even get people walk in the door for an application. 50 dollars just to interview, 500 dollars um, on your first paycheck if you start within two to three weeks, and another 500 dollars to anyone else that would recommend someone. So um, it's challenging for
2: sure. So does this get sorted in the next couple of months? We know those unemployment benefits run out in September, and I I realize, you know, there are other aspects to this. But once those are done and people have gone through savings, you'd assume they're going to want to go back and get $50 for an interview and $500 um, to start off.
3: Yeah, I'm actually considering doing some interviews later today to get 50 bucks. <laughs> um, I, 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 think, I, I think as a whole, you're probably going to see that uh, exactly what you said. T- towards maybe you know, my, our best guess is uh, maybe towards the uh, end of the summer or beginning of the fall. At some point, we start to hit some level of normality. And I think maybe people start to kind of fade a little bit. Uh, out of the pandemic, to your point, the, the benefits start to run out. Um, all of a sudden, jobs might be a little bit harder to come by, right? Because some of these places might uh, might start finding uh, the people that they need, and people start to settle in into certain environments. Um, so, I would imagine, you know, based on the things that we're hearing from from our customers, is that they're, you know, while this started off a couple months ago, it's very difficult. They found ways to deal with it. Um, a lot of it usually has to deal with technology. How do you invest in technology to basically make the people that you have at the store? Uh, and let the restaurant a lot more efficient, they can get more done this way. And so they're trying to find ways to, uh, to increase that so that hopefully by the time people do come back, you know, and they're, and they're fully staffed, they're rocking and rolling, you know, uh, on all cylinders.
1: Vlad, 30 seconds. Is there a chicken wing shortage out there?
3: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. These, uh, these, these, chicken, uh, these chicken wars have gotten very serious. Um, uh, I I think the, uh, you know, everyone's pushing into chicken sandwiches. The chicken wings, obviously Wingstop did a phenomenal job during the pandemic. But uh, the most interesting piece is uh, as prices have gone up on, on chicken, I think Wingstop came out a couple weeks ago with their now thigh stop. Uh, um, brand that's delivery only, they're buying whole chickens, trying to get a lower price for the chicken, and then they're now right. um, selling a big chunk of it off in some other way, but <laughs> that uh, should be good. Listen, uh, chicken from a lot of these places is pretty solid, so it's uh, we benefit as consumers from these chicken wars. All
1: right, Vlad, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Vlad uh, Richter, CEO of Zenput, giving us uh of the overview of what's going on on the restaurant business, fast food business, obviously the demand picking up dramatically, uh, supply side, particularly on the labor, a little bit challenged here as they uh, deal with the rebound.
4: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Steeple dot com. That's S T I F E L dot com.
5: Steeple Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
2: Right now, I want to get into uh, crypto and DeFi and everything uh, surrounding it. Divya Balji joins us, senior editor at Bloomberg News, to talk to us about what's happened here. I guess. You know, as we broke down um, Divya below 30,000, a lot of people took that as a technical time to buy in and did so. Now we bounced back up 12 um, percent from that level. What's what's the state of crypto currently?
6: Uh, at this point, it's up about it's up to about 34,000 for Bitcoin specifically. You know, even stocks that slumped yesterday, crypto linked. Stocks that slumped yesterday have sort of quickly reversed. Um, Today, they're mostly all in the green. You know, MicroStrategy, which obviously was a huge focus for a lot of investors yesterday because, you know, they've been making a bullish bet on Bitcoin, um, is also back up today. So overall, you know... I don't want to say it was a bit of a blip yesterday because that was a huge loss um, for a decent amount of time there. But, you know, I also don't want I also just, you know, it's not exactly surprising that, you know, to see the type of volatile ride that Bitcoin and crypto stocks have.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I want to go, Divya, the volatility associated with crypto, in particular, Bitcoin. For some naysayers, for some folks that look at this, they say, you know, the volatility is just too great for this to be a real asset class um what are you hearing
6: um you know generally people who are invested in cryptocurrencies and bitcoin and the stocks that are linked to them are very very well aware of how volatile it is and you know from people that we've spoken to generally what they say is as much as it goes down there's a chance of it going back up and even higher so you know, they seem to be very well-versed or or knowledgeable in the land of crypto and and seem to be generally, or at least the bulls are sticking to their guns and believe that, you know, this is the place to be, whether it's volatile or not. If you can stomach it, you know, stay, because you can potentially make money off of it.
2: Is there any... Uh, is there any merit to trying to find a reason for the gains and losses I mean we always cite China's clampdown on mining or Elon Musk's tweet but isn't a lot of this really momentum driven and technicals
6: I think it's combination of both you know sometimes it is hard to sort of pinpoint a specific reason on any given day but and you know sometimes it could be the fact that musk is tweeting something about it that's really driving the shares but you know there is definitely a part of it that's momentum driven you know if it's a bunch of people on reddit who are talking about it and pushing the stock higher or just general market rotation um they, they all tend to play a part in this, you know, on any given day.
1: So let's broaden it out to some of the derivative plays, uh, the stock market plays for uh, crypto. I'm thinking Coinbase. That was a really high-profile direct listing here. Are direct, direct listings still a thing here or, you know, the Coinbase says it hasn't traded very well. So I'm wondering if that kind of puts a pall on that.
6: Um, You know, it definitely was something that a lot of companies were, you know, actively pursuing or considering. I think what we've seen of late, whether it's Coinbase or other direct listings that have come through, is just the fact that, you know, yes, they are an alternative way to list your stock, but some of them haven't done as well, like you pointed out with Coinbase, um, as other IPOs. So, you know, generally people seem to be... Questioning whether a direct listing is really the way to go um, for their company.
1: All right, we really appreciate it, Divya Balji, senior editor, of Bloomberg News, joining us on the phone, talking all things crypto again. Bitcoin up about two point eight percent today, pushing up close to thirty four thousand. A big reversal from when it broke below a technical support level of thirty thousand. We'll have more coming up now. I want to bring in Dr. Eric Cervini. He is a Gates
2: Cambridge scholar and an historian. He wrote a book called The Deviance War, The Homosexual Versus the United States of America. And we bring him on um, to talk about that, obviously, in relation to Pride Month and New York City's Pride Week, which is this week. Um, Doctor, thanks so much for joining us. Um, We have strewn around the office a number of different uh, pride flags and pins and you know uh, here at bloomberg obviously um we're we're very aware of the situation i think in new york city as well people are is it nationally as uh as 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 uh, uh visible as it is on the coasts
5: i think so and thanks for having me you know pride goes back uh more than 50 years now and it started out as as a protest and as a a reaction to police violence at the Stonewall Inn in in New York City. But it's really, from that moment, it has grown all across the country and all across the world. You can see rainbow flags, uh, not just on on logos and not just in parades, but in in houses and schools all across the entire world. And it's come to mean uh, a symbol for equality. And I think that's something that uh, you'll start to see grow even more in the future.
1: All right. Well, the the folks in Washington, our friends in Washington and Congress uh, are, I guess, there's the Equality Act, which is g- going back and forth. Give us a status of what is the Equality Act, what does it seek to do, and kind of where are we in terms of the discussion in Washington?
5: Sure. Well, until last year, there was no federal protection for anyone who was LGBTQ plus uh, when it came to employment, when it came into housing, uh, public Spaces or services. And there was a very important Supreme Court decision last year, uh, Bostock versus Clayton County, which, for the first time, the Supreme Court said that actually the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, protects uh, queer folks in this country. The problem is, uh, according to which administration is currently in power, currently uh, President Biden issued an executive order saying. He was going to interpret that to mean that it applied to all sorts of different uh areas where discrimination should be prohibited so education housing and health care but the problem is at any point if we had a different administration in office who interpreted that supreme court case differently uh then very easily those protections that we currently have uh could be stripped so what the equality act would do is codify and make very explicit that supreme court decision to ensure that this is a permanent protection Uh, for a a very large and growing minority in our country.
2: Is, at some point, has the movement shifted, the zeitgeist of it from a gay rights movement to really just a general political movement? Because it's not just lesbians, gays, and bisexuals. There are many, many more letters and numbers now uh, involved. And it's not just the rainbow flag. I read today there are 30 different rainbow flags, Um, is it at some point just a political dogma?
5: Well, I think it's just a a community of folks who don't identify as straight or cisgender, meaning you identify as the same way you were assigned at birth. Uh, And so there are so many different gender identities, and this goes back thousands of years. What's new isn't uh, the concept of being non-binary or not being male or female. What's new is that binary itself. And so what you're starting to see is people realizing that, especially younger folks, that there are so many different varieties of humanity. And that's true not just among straight people, but within the queer community as well. There's so much diversity uh, contained within that one rainbow flag. In fact, it's changing. And 30 it's totally rainbow changing flags, because, right? Sure, They're absolutely. 30.
2: Absolutely. I, I read today that there's an asexual flag as well. I mean, there's, it's, it's almost like everyone except for a small group, is contained in the, in, the, in the movement.
5: Right. Well, at the end of the day, you look at our Congress and you see uh, a very small group is running our country. It's, a, it's white, cisgender, uh, straight men. And, you know, it, there should be flags for everyone else, because given how uh, ubiquitous we are, we should be also in power. We should also have representation in media. So I think that's why those flags are so important, because, you, as you mentioned, there is a disparity between who is actually in power, who has the wealth, and then who actually constitutes this country.
1: All right, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate uh, your time, Dr. Eric Cervini, Gates, Cambridge scholar and historian, also Author of the book *The Deviants War*: The Homosexual Versus the United States of America, and and you're right, Matt. The flag is it seems to be growing and growing and growing as more and more uh, people, you know, uh, look to have their positions aired and rep- and be you know fairly represented. So uh, it's an issue that is important and as you know, Eric was saying, our uh, the folks down in Congress are you know, looking at a lot of these issues as well from a legislative perspective um, and certainly for the Biden campaign, kind of a a, a important issue.
4: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel
5: Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: All right, let's talk technology, particularly artificial intelligence, and how it's transforming the financial services business. For that, we bring in Lisa Chai. She's a senior research analyst for Robo Global. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us here. I'm probably fairly representative of some people or a lot of people that during the pandemic, I found myself doing a lot more uh, digital banking, a lot more banking on my phone. Talk to us how the financial services industry is adapting. How well is it adapting to technology?
7: Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been following the fintech industry for a while now, and 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 it has really evolved. Probably in the past decade has really seen a lot of advancement. and obviously, with the pandemic has accelerated um, all the activities around e-commerce. And just like you, I've also been home and been doing a lot more online shopping and a lot more of the kind of the touchless payment system, right? So some of these dynamics that we're seeing and experiencing today um, is due to all the digitization that we're seeing and growth of IoT devices. That definitely had a lot to do with it. Um, I think 10 years ago, we had just about a third of the world that were Internet users. And now almost two-thirds of the world has access to some type of Internet. So and on top of that, I think technologies around cloud services um, Combined with uh, advanced compute power, has really accelerated. So, so definitely the financial industry has seen real tremendous progress in terms of innovation, and I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg on what's to come.
1: Talk to us. I mean, I, I often wonder, as I you know, here in Midtown Manhattan, there's still a lot of bank branches around, and I'm wondering what's the future of a branch, a commercial bank branch, because I can't even recall the last time I went in one.
7: Right, I think um, definitely the we've all received our. If you had a credit card, we all received that touchless um, credit cards in the mail in the past six months or so. Finally, and finally, I got, I got a few. Exactly, um, I think the the younger generation, the millennials, definitely feel much more com- comfortable using their apps to do their banking, and you saw the growth of. Um, institutions like Robinhood, right? And, and you got companies like Coinbase coming out. And yeah. and that, that ease of use platform and the app have really um, kind of dominated um, some of the usage and, and mindshare. So definitely the banks and credit card providers are kind of scrambling at the moment, trying to find some innovative solutions and really adapting to the world. Um, and I think that definitely we're seeing a combination of the the cloud and compute power and the adoption of the AI, that's really making the experience for the consumer a lot more user-friendly. And I think we're going to see a lot more innovations around that. I think the, the biggest hurdle and why we still will see some of the banking branches is because of the, the integration between the back-end solutions and then the front-end is still being worked on. And that's still, um, I think, we're going to see a lot of um, spending around that. Um, But I think that the industry is really um, embracing technology to offer that integration from the back-end solutions and the front-end. And you're seeing lots of progress. You probably don't really feel it on a day-to-day basis, but believe it or not, um, AI is, is just at the forefront of everything that we're doing. So when you're banking, whether you're talking about your credit card transactions or actually Transferring uh, money into different payment systems, like there's the wallets, right, Venmo, um, Cash App, yeah. Square. We just have so many options now, and you could also trade, you know, equities and, and bitcoins with our our banking, and then at the same time you get a credit card and a debit card. So you're seeing this integration of these um, solutions happening, and at the at the same time. Um, I'm very concerned as a tech analyst to see what are the industry doing? Are they doing enough to, to prevent fraud yeah. and what type of data are they collecting? And are we going to have this world where every transaction that we're um, making um, where it's, while it's going to be personalized type of transaction solutions, that's going to be coming to us. But in terms of marketing, are we going to get, flooded right, right with marketing you know whether it's a spam or alert notification through our text it's really it's we're coming at a level where we're where industry is really embracing technology but are they going to be smart and be thoughtful and how they're going to use our data
1: i mean just writing so, just writing the new york city subway in my lifetime i've gone from using the tokens um to then swiping the metro card and now i just tap my iphone to the turnstile and boom i'm in so that's the good news the bad news is I think the MTA knows where I'm going at all times now, and that's a little scary. So it kind of goes to your point of uh, security. Are there are there are there some companies that are focusing on that?
7: Yes, definitely. Um, there are many companies that are, whether private or public, that's really helping with the either cybersecurity type of solutions or data protection and also fraud prevention. So right now, um, AI can figure out whether um, you. Uh, cannot be definitely in two places at once. So it's, it's basically where they're, it's AI is analyzing this, the billions of transactions that are occurring each day. So um, while the financial service industry been using AI probably for the last 10 years or so, what we're seeing as a disruption innovation is that AI applications are really expanding at a, at a very quick level. So you're, they're using predictive analytics to really improve the accuracy levels. And there's a lot of data around this where um, if you've ever been in a store where your credit card is getting declined. It's a terrible experience. And, and the retail stores don't want to lose you as a customer. The banks don't want to lose you. But some of the data around it is really shocking that um, over $120 billion a year of transaction, credit card transaction, um, is from false declines. And over a third of that customer stopped shopping at that retailer after being falsely declined. Mm. So that's that's a really shocking number. And according to Mastercard data, over 20% of the customers also switch to their bank after experiencing some type of fraud. So you're seeing companies like Fair Isaac that has um, whether it's credit, you know, kind of score monitoring systems, right. um, services like FICO scores, and you got companies like Fiserv. They have solutions around this, and they've been using AI for probably the longest out of all the publicly traded companies out there um, because they have so much data. Right. But we're we're seeing um, um these companies continue to adopt and and invest heavily in AI. Yep. So so to really improve the accuracy level. Yep. So I think I think that's that's very important I think and I think that's very
1: exciting. All right. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Fascinating stuff. Lisa Chai, senior research analyst at Robo Global Technology overtaking or disrupting certainly the financial services industry like never before. Just look at all the apps you have on your iPhone. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg
2: Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973.
1: And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.